0: Church. Uh, it's the best time of year where everyone's sick. We all start dropping like flies. <laughs> Anyways, we're gonna to go to Nehemiah chapter six. This is where we're picking up, up, off, leaving off, picking up. Six. There we go. Uh, last week, I don't remember. You guys were here. <laughs> chapter (laughs) 5. So uh, chapter 6, we're going to pick up. Um, Nehemiah, at the end of this chapter, they've built the walls, and all they had to do now was finish restoring the gates and uh, strengthen the community. And walls and and gates only go so far, but the community needs to be strong too. Um, We can we can know everything, we can have a good knowledge, a good foundation of, of the Bible, we can have sound doctrine, we can have um, good teaching in the past. <laughs> we can have all of these things, but the community needs to be strong too. You know, We can know everything, we can have all this stuff, but we need to be able to strengthen each other, we need to be um, unified and, and things like that. Because, you know, I said last week in been said before, but a chain is only as strong as the weakest link and and a church is only as strong as the weakest link. I don't know. But if we're if we're not bound together and we're fighting with each other, we're not unified, then it doesn't matter how much stuff we know. You know the community needs to be strong. And we we become strong by um, praying for each other and loving each other and being there for each other and all that. And so we need to be strong, too. It's, it's important to have walls up. It's important to have all these things. But the community needs to be be strong. And lots of churches, you know, they look good on the outside and they seem strong. But the community or the culture inside the church is sick. And people don't care about each other. And, and they gossip about each other. They hurt each other. They ignore each other. they just not you guys, but others, obviously. But... You know, we so we need both. We need doctrine. We need the word. We need all that, but we also need to love each other, Amen. and we need to be there for each other. So, community is just as important as as everything else. Um, well, Sam Ballard, remember him? He's been around for a little while. Him and his goons—they tried to stop the walls from being built, and and they failed, as we know. So instead of focusing on the city of Jerusalem as a whole and the Jewish people as a whole, they started zoning in on Nehemiah, the leader. Because if he could stop Nehemiah or even discredit Nehemiah or get the people to turn against Nehemiah, Sam Ballad could use all of his allies on the inside. You remember he has connections through Tobiah to um, Um, family members and people because somebody was married into his family and they got these connections with leaders of the tribe of Judah, high up people, and they've got all these connections. So if he could just get the people to turn against Nehemiah, he could use these other people on the inside that he's got working and just stop the whole thing. So he turns his focus towards Nehemiah now, and there's a lot of pressure on leaders that most people don't see. And but you know that if you've ever tried to lead anything. Not just talking about church, but just anything in general. If you've ever tried to lead anything, there's, there's a lot of pressure that comes on you. Um, McDonald's, again, as an example. What do you say when you're mad? I want to speak to the manager. Because they've done it wrong, obviously. They're the ones that put pickles on your burger. They're the ones that made that person an ignorant <laughs> They woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Obviously, it's their fault that that, that customer that employee is being rude or whatever. Because obviously, it's the manager's fault, right? You know, I would get calls, people yelling and screaming at me about things that I didn't even know happened because there's so much going on. You can't be everywhere at once. And, and my manager that trained me said, it's a good day if you don't get any complaints. If nobody yells at you, consider that a good day. Which is pathetic, but that's how it is. And leaders are often blamed for things they didn't do or criticized for things they tried to do. Uh, They're misquoted, misunderstood. I don't know how many times people have come up to me and said, oh, I liked when you said this thing, but I never said that thing. Or why did you say this when I never said it? Whatever. So um, it happens. People will pick out one thing that you say and think it means something else or, or twist it or... Yeah. Anyways, good times, good times. Uh, yeah. If leaders act quickly, they are reckless, impulsive, and do not care. If leaders act slowly, they are cowards and they do not care. <laughs> you can't win. <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> Everyone knows every motive that you have and think they can read your mind and know why you make decisions that you make. Or uh, if you do things differently than the last guy, everybody look out. Um, I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about life in general, okay? I'm just, um, you know, back to McDonald's because that's all I know. Um, we had a manager change. They shipped one lady out, uh, brought another guy in, he did things differently. Because he's a different person. And everyone's complaining because this guy's an idiot and he's not doing it the way we've always done it. And this is ridiculous. I know this never happened here or anything, but that's what happens. There's a lot of pressure on leaders that people don't see. And that's just physical things. That's not, not even getting into spiritual type things. So spiritual leaders, they face all of that. Plus, you know, they've got, you know, the human nature we're dealing with. Plus, you've got the enemy attacking Right, You've got the the devil coming against you. So you've got all this stuff that we've got to deal with, just people, human nature, and then you've got spiritual things. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 3 says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made of all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. The Bible tells us that we need to pray for leaders, not just physical leaders too. Like We need to pray for our prime minister and political leaders, our bosses. Uh, even if we don't like them, we need to pray for them, pray for enemies, Jesus said. So pray for people, and we need to pray for spiritual leaders too, for pastors, preachers, and their families. Uh, if the enemy can take out a Christian leader, he can cripple the whole ministry and discredit the church. How many churches are closed now because a pastor or wife fell into sin? How many people are turned against the church because of something a pastor did or a priest did or a leader in the church did? Right? This is real, but um, just use everyone's favorite sin. uh, For example, adultery. People commit it all the time outside i worked with people that are cheating on their wives and husbands and boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, everyone's doing whatever. Yeah. Um, seeing marriages fall apart in family, you know, workplaces, yeah. uh, fellow saints, whatever. Well, the circle that affects is kind of small in comparison. But uh, if it's a pastor or a wife that does it or a leader in the church that does it, it's a huge mess. Yeah. You know, I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. There's this shock and, and, you know, just rocks everyone's world and just shakes everything. And the church, sometimes they don't recover and it ends up closing because people can't deal with it. Folks, you know, backslide and they turn from God because I thought this man was whatever and this happened. And, and you know, everything that you think you know is challenged when this sort of thing happens. Why? Because they're the leader and, we're supposed to be they're supposed to be better right and in reality peoples is peoples right. everyone is susceptible Every, anyone can fall anyone can fail so we need to pray for leaders Amen. for pastors for their wives Amen. for their family their kids yeah. i worked with a, a girl and her dad was a a pastor not with our work they a baptist and just she would tell me about all the things that people would do to her in the church and the, the judgment and all this stuff, you know, just because she was a pastor's kid and she was supposed to be something else. You know, but she was just a, a teenager, making mistakes like everyone, everyone else. And there was this pressure and this microscope that they put on her, and you know, she doesn't even go to church anywhere now, because it's just so much stuff. Just let them be people, let them be kids. Let them grow, let them make mistakes, let them fall, let them get up and pray for them. Don't criticize them. Especially especially kids, like you know, it's hard enough growing up as a Christian in school now. And there's so much stuff going on that we don't even we never had to deal with. There's an unbelievable amount of things. You know, and, and kids don't need to be attacked in church too. It should be a safe place. So don't Criticize. Just pray for them, all right? We need to pray for leave. I'm Not just if this wasn't my job. We still need to do it, yes. Amen. All right? I'm not just praying for me because everything's terrible in my life. That's not what I'm saying. You know, if I if I'm gone and somebody else comes in, pray for them. You know, pray for whoever's here. Pray for whatever. Pray for all the pastors. You know, pray for their families. Pray for missionaries. Pray, for, pray for people that are. Because there's an attack that comes, plus all the other human stuff we we have to deal with. So Nehemiah, the enemy comes at him now. He's tried to attack the people, and it didn't work. Uh, Because mostly Nehemiah was like, no, we're just going to keep working, guys. Don't pay attention, and he kept leading them the right way. So the enemy now attacks Nehemiah, and he tries to put fear into his heart. Because we know fear... It's crippling, it paralyzes us, and it destroys faith. Um, To quote Hitler, he said, Mental confusion, contradiction of feeling, indecisiveness, indecisiveness, and panic, these are our weapons. That's how he put the whole world in fear, was with these things. Confusion, contradiction of feeling, indecisiveness, and panic That's what he used. That was his weapons. And he put the whole world in fear for a short period of time. It's powerful. All of these things. So Jesus, you know, he faced fear daily. He was always being threatened. You know, people were, were going to, you know, we're going to kill you. They were try to kill him. And he walked through the crowd. And the apostles, they were always being threatened and arrested and beaten. And Peter, Paul, all these people, but they overcame with, with faith, so we need to put our trust in the God and not what the enemy can do, because we've said it before, but fear is putting faith in the enemy. So Nehemiah, in this story, he doesn't listen to the enemy's lies. He and the people, they did the work, and they rebuilt the walls and all that in 52 days. But during this, the enemy used four strategies in attacking Nehemiah, specifically. And the good thing about the, the good thing about the devil is that he hasn't changed. He's still doing the same thing. So we'll see these four things, and there's still things that he tries today. So the first one, the first weapon that he uses against Nehemiah is compromise. So Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates." That Sambalad and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after the sword, and I answered them after the same manner. So up to this point, Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem, all these guys, they had opposed the people of Jerusalem and they fought against them every step of the way. Everything that they did, they criticized, they mocked, they they tried to put fear, they said they were going to attack, they did all of these things and it didn't work. And now they say, hey, Nehemiah, why don't we sit down? Why don't we get together? Why don't we... You know, let's just sit down together and work things out. Let's meet together. You know, stop what you're doing. Let's go for some coffee. Let's meet up in one of these little villages. Let's do that. Why don't you just stop what you're doing and come meet up with us? And they offered to meet in, in Ono, which was a village halfway between Jerusalem and Samaria. So they said to Nehemiah, hey, you know what? We're willing to meet you halfway. Why don't you just come out and meet with us? You know, don't be unfriendly, neighbor. Yeah. Right? Sound familiar? Hey, let up on some of that holiness stuff. Why don't you let up on some of that doctrine stuff, some of that salvation? You know, you don't need to do all all of that. Why don't you give up some of that stuff that you believe or you do or you, you practice? Why don't you join up with us? Why don't you meet with us? Why don't you work with us, it'll be fine. We can do so much together. It's the same thing today. And the enemy's strategy was, if you can't beat them, join them, and then take over. Yeah. And once the enemy gets a foothold in ministry or leadership, it's not long before the whole work will fail. If the leader or pastor compromises, it affects Everything and everyone. If a pillar in the church compromises, it affects the entire church. If an elder, someone that we look up to, compromises, it affects everyone else. We cannot compromise. We cannot give up. We cannot get distracted. I'm not just talking about awkward, you know, outward. Holiness stuff. We can't compromise on prayer. We can't compromise on the word and studying the word and fasting and doctrine and giving and loving and supporting each other and worship and praise and coming to church. We can't compromise on those things because once we do, it's only a matter of time before the whole work dies. And cooperation with others can be a good thing, but we need to be careful who we cooperate with. Because if we cooperate with the enemy, it will end up in disaster. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 15, For such are false pro- false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, is it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their... Works. Also, there's going to be people that look like they got it all together, but they don't. Satan himself can look like an angel of light. You need to be careful who you work with. You need to be careful who you compromise with, who you cooperate with. The enemy has workers waiting and willing to help or join or work together. Compromise can be a good thing. It's necessary to grow if there are no moral or spiritual issues involved, we need to work together with each other. You now, Paul said, Philippians two, one to four. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort and love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfil ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves, So look at your neighbor as someone that's better than you. Put them above you. And then verse 4 says, look, not every man on his own things but let every man also on the things of others. So don't just look at your own stuff. Don't look at your own opinions, your own thoughts, your own plans. You know, you got to work together with others, right? It's necessary in any relationship because if not, you're in, you're in a relationship, you're in a dictatorship. Especially in marriage. You need, there needs to be compromise. There needs to be compromise in every relationship. But we cannot compromise on certain things. You know, the old saying, I didn't want a cat. My wife wanted a cat, so we compromised and got a cat. That's not compromise. <laughs> That's not how it works. But that sort of compromise is one thing. Working together with somebody is one thing. Because, you know, spiritual things aren't involved. But if spiritual things aren't involved, then we are compromising on that that is a problem. If we're just compromising on opinions and ideas and how we think we should do things, that's, that's OK. We need that to work. But if you invite the enemy or the, the devil on your team, don't be surprised when he tries to change the rules. He tries to change the goals. So Nehemiah rejected their offer because of three things. The first thing, he knew that they were lying. Verse two, he says, "But they thought to do me." Mischief. He had discernment, which is an important thing to have. If you're going to work for God, you need to be able to tell what's from God and what's not. Amen. That's important. Yes. The second, he was convinced of the greatness of the work that God had called him to do. Verse 3 says, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Right. If he let himself get distracted, where would his people go for leadership? Right. Yeah. Uh, have you ever done any sort of work? And the leader takes off, it's not long before nothing's getting done. Right? You ever work for a manager that's always out having a cigarette or and hiding in the office or whatever? You know, nothing gets done. People just start goofing off. Right. I mean, when the leader's not there, projects with a leadership rarely get done. Sometimes there'll be one or two good, you know, workers that'll do it but others won't. You know, leaders have to be good examples and stay at the job and say what God called them to do. Yes, so he's like, I'm doing a good work. I'm not going to leave this Thank you, Jesus. and go meet with you. I got more important things going on. And the third thing was they had nothing in common with Samballot and his group. So that there was no reason for them to work together. Nehemiah made that clear at the very beginning when Sanballat tried to come against him. And Nehemiah 2 and 20 says, Then answered I them. And said unto them, The God of heaven he will prosper us, therefore we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. He said, You have no business in this. I don't really care what you think or what you do. You have no business in this, and this is the church. We don't need to listen to other people and how they think that we need to build the church of God. That's right. We need to listen to God. You know, we are called to be separate from the world. We are different. Our priorities are different, or they should be. You know, we live for a different kingdom. We are called out. You know, that's why I, I don't really get so worked up about uh, current events or politics and that sort of thing, because we're not of this kingdom. We have a different kingdom that we're working for. We are to build His kingdom. We're living for something else. We can allow the things of this world to affect our effectiveness. If Nehemiah allowed himself to be compromised by Sam Ballad, how could he have effectively led the Jews to be separate from the world? That's what they were called to be. And if their leader is going out and meeting with the enemy and sitting down with them and having coffee with them and, and working things out with the enemy, how does that look to the rest of them? Right? How can he get up and say, you know, we need to be separate when I just saw you doing that. There needs to be separation. My favorite part of this whole thing is he says, why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? It's awesome. It's like, what? Who are you that I should stop doing what I'm doing and come talk to you? Who do you think you are? You've just been harassing us. You've been attacking us. I was sent here by God. I don't care. You have no point. You have no part in what we're doing. Why should I stop what I'm doing to come talk to you? I'm busy building the kingdom. I'm working at my calling. I'm being used by God. I got no time for you. I got no time for the enemy. If that was our reaction to an invitation to compromise, what a place we would be in. The kingdom needs to be. Number one, it needs to be the most important thing in our lives, building the kingdom, not being accepted by the world, not caring what other people think. Not having everyone like me, but building his kingdom needs to be my main priority. The second weapon that he used against Nehemiah was slander. So we got compromise, we got slander. Anybody everybody know what this is? Nehemiah 6, 5-9 says, Then sent Sembalad his servant unto me, in like manner the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, wherein it was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee in Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. And I sent, then sent I unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart." For they made all of us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now, Therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So the enemy came at him four times, trying to get him to compromise. Then the fifth time he comes with a letter, accusing him of trying to start a rebellion and trying to become king, which we know is not the case. He accused him of sedition, which according to the dictionary... Means conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state or monarch. So he was accused of trying to cause everyone to rebel against the king and, and take over and, and you know, a revolution. And that's not the first time. Um, in Nehemiah chapter two, Sam had hinted at it at the very beginning, verse nineteen. He says, But when Sam the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? He started this at the beginning. And there was a, well, let see if this will work again the second time. Even Jesus was accused of this. In Luke 23, 1-2. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Jesus never said that. He said, Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And God was God's. And it's a serious thing to be accused of this because you can be put to death because of it. If you rebelled against the king and you didn't have a big enough army behind you, you were dead. When we try to do something for God, the enemy will still try to do this. Yes. Who do you think you are trying to do this? You think you're some sort of big deal trying to step out and do something for God. Who do you think you are? Look at this guy. He wants to be just like Whoever, or, or he wants to do this, just so like whatever. And all these things come, and he hasn't changed much. Right? Sam Ballad brought an open letter, the Bible says. And in those days, letters were usually sealed, um, you know, with the old wax and the, the signet ring. Right? So you knew it came from a certain person. And because they were only supposed to be read by a certain person, whoever was addressed to, or delivered to, or to one group, or whatever. And only the people with authority could read it. Uh, like today, you know, you get an envelope, it's sealed. It's illegal to open someone else's mail because it's not yours. But if it's an open letter, anyone can read it. So Sam Ballard comes with an open letter, meaning that he wanted everyone to know what was being said of Nehemiah. It was like printing it out and putting it up on a bulletin board. This is what Nehemiah is doing. He's trying to start a rebellion. He's rebelling against the king. And he was trying to get people on his side and against Nehemiah. And the enemy still does this. Hey, did you hear what so-and-so did? I had a friend that... There was a pastor that was accused of some things. And somebody asked me if he wanted to see the, the... Whatever it was, the evidence. And he was like, oh, Sure. Not a good decision, but you know, he saw it, and then he said, "I wish I never, have, I wish I never had saw it." So once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you hear something, whether it's true or not, you can't unhear it. And people will gossip and slander and talk openly about leaders and others. And rumors start, and it's up to us whether or not they continue. Um, one of my pastors used to tell a story about how. Um, If anyone in his house was ever um, said anything bad about the pastor, his dad would just get up and walk out of the room. (laughs) No, I'm not listening to this. Just get up and walk out because he doesn't have any part of it. I'm not saying that just because it's me. Um, But if the enemy can turn us against whoever is leading us or whatever, or make us suspicious or doubt their calling or their anointing or their intentions, he is winning. It has been reported and they say have caused a lot of troubles in churches and ministries and lives. Gossipers are everywhere. It's human nature. Um, Which is we don't want to admit it. They're in church. They're in work. They're in our families. We all have that aunt that just likes to talk, right? (laughs) Maybe not an aunt. I was being a little specific. But we all have somebody that we know that just likes to talk and listen. Right? Gossipers hover like the vultures waiting to get some information. They going a hold up and whatever. Somebody said that gossip is news that you have to hurry and tell someone else before you find out that it isn't true. And we like it. Right? I want to show of hands. Who likes to gossip? <laughs> we like it because it gives us power we think over someone else well I know what they did I know what they said I know what happened so they aren't so perfect and it takes focus off our own shortcomings and our own mistakes and the things that we've done that we wouldn't want anybody else to know about we wouldn't want anyone else to talk about because right. it's easier to look at someone else and point out their mistakes whether they're true or not than to look at our own lives and work on that. Didn't Jesus say something about a speck in your eye and a speck in someone's eye and a beam in yours, right? It's weird. He always addressed these sort of things. But not only did the enemy accuse falsely Nehemiah of starting a rebellion, but he said he was planning to make himself king and he had prophets ready to announce his coronation. And if that ever got back to the real king, this would have been the end of what they were doing. We need to know how to handle false accusations, vicious letters, uh, lovely emails that we get, newspaper articles, and gossip. And if we don't handle it right, we will end up spending all our time trying to set things right and fight against them. And then we lose focus on what our actual calling is. And if that happens, then the enemy is one too. All he has to do is get us distracted. He doesn't have to beat us. He doesn't have to win. All he has to do is get us to stop doing what God called us to do. Verse 8 says, Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. And then, verse 9 at the end, Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah said, None of these things have been done. None of these things have been said. You made this up with your own heart. He didn't make a mistake. He denied the reports. And then verse 9, Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And then he prayed for strength, and he went back to work. He said, this never happened. God, you deal with it. Give me strength, and I'm going back to work. Because if the enemy can distract you, he's won. He doesn't actually have to win the war or the fight. He just needs to distract you and waste your time and instigate things and get you fighting with somebody else or whatever. And then you're not actually doing what you're called to do. So deny it and give it to God. Keep on working. It will blow over. And the third weapon the enemy uses are threats. Nehemiah 6, 10 to 14. Is this okay? Everybody okay? Verse 10 says, afterward I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of a person who was shut up, and he said, "Let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple. Let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee." And I said, "Should such a man as I flee? And who is there and that, being as I am, would go to the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but he pronounced, but that he pronounced his prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Therefore was he hired." that I should be afraid and do so in sin, and that they might have matter of an, for an evil report, and that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sabaoth according to these their works, and on the prophetess um, Neodiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. Okay, so this one he threatens. Um, Shemaiah was a prophet for hire. He was a dishonest man of God. He came up with a clever plan, uh, he pretended his life was in danger, and he got alone with Nehemiah. And he said, "Come on, Nehemiah, let's go. You know we're in danger. Let's go hide in the temple. They're coming for you. They're going to get you. They're going to kill you. Come on with me. You know to the temple." And Nehemiah was ever in tune with God. Yes. Probably because as we read the story, he's praying all the time. Yes. Could be it. It might be a connection there. Um, but he saw through what was going on. He says, should such a man as I flee and who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. And he, he said, you think I'm that kind of guy, I'm going to run and hide, I haven't yet, I ain't going to start now. And if he had run and hidden, his reputation would have been shot. Here's a guy that's saying, God's going to protect us, God's going to provide for us, God's going to do this, God's going to help us and give us strength. And then, oh no, i got to go hide. You know, his reputation would have been shot. Now look at this coward we have. He can say one thing, but he lives something else. Nehemiah wasn't a priest. Nehemiah wasn't allowed to just go in the temple like that. Numbers 18 and 7 says, Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. So only the priest was allowed in this situation. Now Shemaiah, he was allowed to go in because he was technically a priest. Not an honest one, but he was a priest. And Nehemiah wasn't allowed to go in there. So Nehemiah knew that this guy was a phony. He was trying to get him to sin. He knew that he, he was fake because the word of God... Nehemiah knew the word of God. He knew he was a false prophet because God will never contradict his word. Just because someone says they have a word from God or they heard from God doesn't mean that they did or do. 1 John 4 and 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. The best way um, to test if somebody... Of God is to know the word. Nehemiah knew the word. And this guy tried to twist it. And God will never do that. Nehemiah was now being tested by prophets. Which is even harder because the people had a great respect for them. And he was just an ordinary guy. These guys were professionals. And although we don't like to admit it, even preachers or priests or professionals, pastors, whatever, can fall into the political game. Um, Money and power are the two things, right? Verse 14, he says, My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works. And on the prophetess Nehemiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. So again, Nehemiah prays. And he gives it to God. And he keeps working. Which may be the theme. <laughs> Pray and keep working. The enemy tried to put fear in him and get him to sin. Try to threaten him and get him to sin. He still does that. And the last weapon. All right. Intrigue. We will not give up is what the enemy said. Um, verse 15 to 19. It says, So the wall was finished in the twenty and fifth day of the month of Elul, in fifty and two days. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Moreover in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, And his son, Johanan, had taken the daughter of Meshalom, the son of Berechiah. Also they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. Intrigue um, means a plot or a scheme. So the enemy was just waiting around, plotting and scheming, Say, you know, we're not going anywhere. We're not going to give up. That's still something he does. Tobiah kept sending letters over and over and over. And the enemy is not a quitter. Satan is not a quitter. He will stick around even after he's lost. And keep waiting for that foothold. Keep waiting for that opportunity. Many Christians have won the war but then lost out afterwards. I don't know if you've found this, but... I found that when you are in service, uh, you know, camp meeting or something, and it's just like one of those awesome services and everyone's praying and, you know, God's moving. And When you go out after, it seems really easy to, to fall into something. It seems really easy to start gossiping. It seems really easy to just let something slip in because we get comfortable and we're like, oh yeah, God's really moving and we let our guard down. I don't know if it's you or, or me or maybe just me, I don't know. That seems to be the way. Um, Andrew A. Bonar, which was an old Scottish preacher, said, Let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. We always need to be on guard. Luke 4 and 13, after the devil attempted Jesus, it says, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. He went away for a season, but he's coming back. He's not done. Sometimes we think, oh, it's over. We won. And then he just kind of waits around. And then when we let our guard down, says he left for a season, but he will be back. We, if we can't see the enemy working, it means he's underground, he's behind the scenes and plotting. Right now, in the story, it all went quiet. Just letters going back and forth. That's not a big disruption. There's a lot of letters and talking. You know, there was nothing. you know, nobody was coming with armies or anything. It was kind of quiet. Um, if you can't see the enemy working, it means he's underground behind the scenes and plotting. And it's actually better and safer when he's openly attacking. Open opposition is better for us, it keeps us on our toes. It's when we feel safe and secure and all good that we tend to fall. Nehemiah's theme with the people in regards to the enemy was watch and pray and keep on working. We need to watch and we need to pray and we need to keep on working. Some Jews uh, were working with Tobiah because they had a family connection. And these guys were big deals. They were from the tribe of Judah, which is the royal tribe. That's David's tribe. That's where Jesus' lineage comes from. And these, these nobles were cooperating with the enemy, with Tobiah, and they resisted the word and the work of God. Why? One reason was Tobiah kept sending them letters, and he influenced their thinking. Instead of looking for truth, they started to believe the lies, and they became traitors to their own people. We need to be careful what we allow into our lives. We need to be careful who we allow into our lives. What we watch, what we read, what we listen to, we need to be careful. Because we can become easily influenced and swayed if we're not careful. We need to guard our hearts. The nobles shared the letters with others and the conspiracy grew. Don't believe everything you hear or read about your leaders or fellow Christians. How could these guys turn against their brothers and sisters in God? Because their bonds of human connection were stronger than their bonds of spiritual affection. Their loyalty was to a man and not to God. Which is a dangerous place for us to be. Because men fall. Men fail. Men lie. Women too. People. Amen. Men are terrible. I hate them all. No, people, people, they can lead astray. They lie. They fall. They're all, we're all, we're not perfect. So our relationship with Jesus needs to be number one. Are we totally committed to him? Do we ever let physical relationships influence our decisions so that we disobey the word of God? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Do we let relationships with others come between us and God? If we do, that's not right. This is what happened here. These guys let their relationship with Tobiah come between them and the work of God. And they ended up going on the other side. People leave church all the time because of something that was said or done to a relative or a friend or someone they cared about. So we need to be careful. God is number one. Our relationship with God needs to be number one, not a relationship with someone else. We need to care for each other. We need to love each other. But there's no way that should be able to come between us and God and drive us away from him. No matter how much you love someone, Jesus needs to be number one. So we need to be careful. The story started with, so I prayed in Nehemiah 2 and 4. And then I went to, so I came to Jerusalem in Nehemiah 2 and 11. And So they strengthened their hands for this good work in Nehemiah 2 and 18. So we built the wall in Nehemiah 4 and 6. And so we labored in Nehemiah 4 and 21. And then 6 and 15, we reached the end of this part of the story. So the wall was finished. It took 52 days. They rebuilt the walls in the face of all the opposition, all the attacks, all the tricks, all the tools of the, the enemy. But this wasn't the end. Now they needed to protect what was built. It's not enough just to build something and sit. We need to keep on working. We're never done. Retirement is not in the Bible. We need to keep praying. We need to keep working. We need to keep protecting. We need to keep leading and growing stronger. Anyways. Well, that's Nehemiah 6. Some heavy stuff in there.